this is Dr. Jose Salivar with another episode of the Way to College podcast. And the beautiful thing about the podcast is it's given me a vehicle to collect stories. And ever since I was a young boy, I I loved listening to stories, whether it was from my grandparents, from friends, from family members. And I think as I got older, I, I learned to appreciate story even more. Um, particularly the stories of, of people I, I didn't know and I don't know well. Um, today, today my guest is, I know my guest, but I don't know my guest's story. And um, so I'm eager to hear her story. And I'm, I'm so glad she's able to join us today to share her story with you all, with our listeners. So Olivia, would you, uh, would you mind introducing yourself to the listeners? Yes. Hi, everyone. I am Dr. Olivia Barron. Um, I'm a Rio Grande Valley, South Texas native who went to college and medical school in Houston, just graduated medical school last year. And now I'm a physician in an orthopedic surgery training program in Houston. So I will be an orthopedic surgeon fully accredited in about five years. Wow. Wow. That's so awesome. Um, congratulations. By Thank the way, you. Uh, on everything. That's awesome. Um, I think, okay, a couple of things. One, I think the first time I met you was at a restaurant. We were talking, I think you were in high school and you were talking about college. Yes. Yeah. Your, your mom, I think dragged you to a ha- faculty happy hour. Nobody else showed up. So <laughs> we turned it into like a college recruiting session or something Basically, like that. Basically. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm glad things turned out well for you. Yeah, thank, <laughs> you thank you. It all started there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's good that you say, right, it all started there. But, you know, seriously, I ask all my guests, if you if you had to go back and point to a moment in your life where you could say my educational journey really started here at this mm-hmm. point, what would that point be for you? Oh, man, I think emphasis on education started very young for me. I loved school. I loved being in that social environment. I loved the challenge of learning new things and mastering new things. Um, And I loved reading. And I had parents who were very supportive in that and let me join all the clubs at school and let me stay late to do activities at school and, and, and encouraged that, which I think was crucial to me, um, finding my way in education. But my parents also always put the expectation on me that I would go to college and that education was my key to success in the future. Um, And without a higher level education, it would be hard for me to navigate the world. So from a young age, it was always understood I was going to college. I just had to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And um, Uh, My mom was very um, helpful in finding me fun little career quizzes and personality tests to try to figure out what naturally might come to me. And I remember medicine kept popping up on these on these tests. And I always had an interest in uh, surgery. I always Uh thought surgery was just a really cool job. I couldn't get any cooler for me. And so as I was a kid, I always thought I'd be a surgeon, but I didn't really know what that meant, what the training was for that, 
the different types of surgeons that exist. I really didn't know anything about medicine and nobody in my family was a doctor. So um, growing up, I just figured I'll, you know, figure it out later. I'll just enjoy what I'm enjoying now. And when I'm an adult and have to figure life out, I'll do that. So growing up, I did all kinds of activities. I did dance. I did classical guitar. I Anything and anything my parents would let me and that we could afford and figure out, I did. Um, and I loved it because I came out with a very um, wholesome education. Uh, and then in college, I realized, well, now I need to figure it out. And I actually felt a little bit behind other people. But that's, I would say it started as a kid. And then I just had to figure it out as I, as I grew up. So it sounds like you know, a couple of things. One, obviously the support was there. Yes. Two, but it too also it sounded like you were just highly motivated, right? Wanting to and and, and wanting naturally just wanting to learn and take in and and and, and grow, right? Getting involved mm-hmm. in everything. Mm-hmm. Um and you said college, college was always an expectation. How did you you know, with, with that kind of support, with that kind of guidance and that kind of direction, how did you decide where you wanted to go to school? Yeah. So with the idea of becoming a surgeon, I was told, well, if you want to be a surgeon, you have to get to medical school at some point. Mm-hmm. And in college, you'd be expected to be a pre-med student. So pre-med just means that in college, you're hoping to get into medical school afterwards at some point. Um, and being pre-med usually means you try to Uh, connect with the pre-med advising program at that college and you have certain requirements you have to take in college. But the beautiful thing about being a pre-med student is you can major in whatever you want. You don't have to be a biology major. You don't have to be a chemistry major. And in high school, again, having just dabbled in so many different subjects, I really wanted to learn Latin in college and I wanted to study neuroscience. Uh, And those are two fields that are not very common in today's um, universities. So when I was applying to college, um, I was in a program called the Jack Cook Foundation. It's a national educational scholarship and program that connects students with academic advisors and helps them navigate the college journey. Um, I was very grateful that my parents had actually just completed their uh, or were finishing up their college degrees as I was applying to college. College, but they had never done a nationwide college application before um, navigating financial aid for you know a teenager and all of these things were very new for us so I'm really grateful that the Jack and Cook Foundation helped me with that um, and that's a common theme in my story my success was built on a lot of help from other people um, so then when when I sat down and thought about where I wanted to go to college, What I wanted to study was one factor. Not a lot of schools had neuroscience or Latin or both. Um, The size and type of school really mattered. I had always gone to smaller schools in South Texas. I had never been at a very large thousands and thousands of people high school. So going to a sudden, you know, like a A A&M size school where there's 55,000 students. I I almost couldn't fathom how I would navigate that situation. Um, And then location definitely was a key, you know, family matters, um, having support in that area um, matters. And it just so happened that um, Rice University in Houston had both of my majors was a smaller school and was decently close to family. 
Although my grandma will always say that she was very sad I left uh, at the valley <laughs> uh, to go to college, as proud as she was that I that I went to Rice. Um, yeah, that 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 sounds familiar. I uh, yes. when 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 I was applying to schools, I remember. I think my parents always had that expectation, like similar to your experience. My parents' college was an expectation, so they knew I was going to leave. But I remember even the last, I don't know, just before I had to make my decision, my father was trying to negotiate with me. To mm. I think the, the closest school I applied to was in San Antonio. And so he was like, well, how about how about San Antonio? Yeah. Like, no, that's OK. <laughs> so I get it. I, I understand where grandma's coming from. Um, yes. So you mentioned something really interesting. You said, even in order to go to medical school, you didn't have to major right in biology or chemistry. No. And in a lot of the work that I do with a lot of the students I see, you know, not having a reference point, a lot of them think I got to go pre-med. Mm-hmm. When did you know? Who, who was it that told you, that informed you, that said, hey, you don't have to major in biology or chemistry or science necessarily. You could study Latin if you want it. Was it was did somebody tell you that or how did you how did you learn? I that? think that was a conversation that was information I gleaned from a couple different people. Um, at the at that point in high school, my best friend was actually the daughter of physicians, and so she knew people who had gone to college and medical school and was a lot more informed about the process than I was. So I do remember having that conversation with her about um, pre med and what that meant, and then I also remember when I was college searching, um, Googling the different colleges and their pre-med programs and seeing that they were, they recommended certain required uh, classes to take so that you would meet the requirements for medical school. But it never said that pre-med itself is a major or that you had to specifically do a certain major. So um, I think between a little bit of self-research, but also talking with people who were more knowledgeable about it than me, I gleaned that information. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, thank you. So you're coming from South Texas. Yes. You go to Rice University. Yes. And um, how was that transition? Was it was it a smooth transition where, you know, did you did you experience some bumps and bruises along the way? What was that Absolutely. like for you? Absolutely. Um, the transition from high school to college, it does not matter how rigorous or challenging your high school is, it will still be a big transition. Um, I mean, college, you are learning what you took an entire year to learn. You're learning in three months and um, you don't have people who will make sure you did your homework every day. You don't have people who are outlining exactly how to study and what to study every day. You have to take on a lot of those time management skills and learn how to study. And sometimes the transition to college is hard because people haven't learned how to study in high school. I thankfully think I learned how to study in high school. But for me, the big transition was leaving my bubble of my hometown, which is you know, primarily Hispanic area, very similar culture. Um, everybody has very similar values to moving to Houston, which is one of the most diverse cities in America and being on a campus where I was suddenly a minority, <laughs> which is the, the truth of Hispanics in America, but I had never experienced that. And learning about the rest of the world, that was really new to me because I, that bubble I grew up in, in high school and before, 
I wasn't so much in tune with world issues, with current events, with um, politics, with other things that when you enter a college campus, you experience for the first time. And I was yeah. meeting people with such different backgrounds and such different perspectives and such different passions. Um, you know, most of my friends in high school were interested in medicine or engineering, some of these more typical jobs. And I was meeting people who had job ideas I had never even heard of. Um, and it was just really neat to experience all it, but it was all very new. And it was a little overwhelming the first year for sure. You mentioned something early in the interview and you said, you know, you, you knew you wanted to be a surgeon, right? You, but you felt, you said you felt behind mm-hmm. you got to college. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So I knew I needed to be pre-med and I didn't really look beyond that. Um, one aspect that made me feel behind was I tried applying for a combined college and medical school program. So when you're in high school, if you know 100% that you want to go to medical school, be a physician, and that's all you want to do with your life, there are programs you can apply to as a senior in high school where you apply to get into college. And if you get into the program, you're guaranteed admission into the medical school once you finish your college um, career. And I thought, wow, that's a great deal. And I applied um, for some and I didn't get into any. And that was very disheartening for me because I thought, you know, I'm a good student. I'm active in things. What am I doing wrong? So that was the first key that made me feel like, hmm, I'm not getting something. I'm missing what I'm supposed to be doing or what the quote unquote ideal med student candidate looks like. So when I got to college, I had that kind of heavy on my mind. And again, entering Rice, where now I'm surrounded by all these pre-med students who are equally as motivated and passionate about me, but some of them do come from families with more physicians and some of them are a lot more knowledgeable about the medical school application process. That made me feel behind relative to my peers. I did not know enough about the application process. For example, there's this big test called the MCAT that every pre-med student has to take before they apply to medical school. And I had heard about it, you know, I was like, oh, it's something I'll take at some point. I'll figure it out later. Um, But there was a big change happening in that test when I was in college. They were expanding the test to be a six-hour test, to be an eight-hour test. They were adding an entire new section and they were restructuring a lot of it. And so the big conversation when I got to college my freshman year was, are you going to take the old MCAT or the new MCAT? And I walked into college thinking, I didn't even know there was a new MCAT. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so all these conversations started making me realize I, I need to really gain more information about this process um, because other people know things that I don't. And I'm, I don't want to be late to the table. You know, what advice, because I, I imagine, you know, that's pretty common, right? Yeah. Especially for, you know, if, if, um, you know, if you don't have those reference points, if you don't, you know, if, if, if and like, and I think most teams, right. We, we find that they live in a bubble. They're kind of isolated. Right. Yeah. So they get to college. They don't know about a lot of these things. What advice would you give somebody who maybe was in a similar situation, maybe just starting out college, fairly certain that they wanted to go to medical school, but really didn't know a lot about the process. What advice would you give them? Right. 
Um, so the first step, I think you hear my stories, you have to realize you don't know. <laughs> and um, it's great to be passionate and it's great to be motivated. But one person in isolation, it is very hard to, to pursue medicine. And that journey is very difficult alone. You need support. And that's why there are pre-med associations. That's why there's student organizations. That's why there's an entire advising circles for pre-med students, right? The idea is you're not supposed to do this alone. You're not supposed to have it all figured out. So that's probably my number one advice. It, you got to surround yourself with people who are similar minded with your goals and who can help your goals come to fruition. And that's how me talking with these other medical pre-med students who had more experience and knowledge than I did helped me. Um, and joining those student advising circles helped me. And then the second thing is you, which is something I had to learn, you have to learn to put yourself out there. I grew up in a household where you know, you don't invite yourself over to things. You don't, you know, speak to people in higher positions unless they're asking you questions um, and just be a very courteous person. And in college or when it comes to your career, all that goes out the window. You have to be your biggest advocate. You have to be comfortable sending professional emails to people you've never met, which is extremely scary. And sometimes you don't even know how to do that. Um, and that's why you need guide, guidance and mentors to help help you through that. Uh, so I would say if you're hitting college and you've got a big plan for your life, you have no idea where to start. The first place you should look for is an advising office. Second spot you should look for is a student group that has a similar interest as you. And then the third place you should look is any professor in that field or in any of your classes, go to their office hours and tell them, hey, this is what I want to do, but I'm totally lost. Where do I start? And if you're vulnerable and honest, you will find yourself propelled by the right people down your journey. I appreciate that. I tell my students that all the time and they think I'm crazy. So no, no, <laughs> I promise it works. Yeah. It works. So you, by the way, which MCAT did you take? I took the new one. It was a seven and a half hour long day. <laughs> you take the MCAT and you get into medical school. You And then what, what happens next? I mean, yeah. you're like it, it, for me, it's, I, so I had a student recently, she graduated, I don't know, three years ago. Um, and, and, you know, um, so she should be at, at Baylor. Um, but you know, I, it's, it's kind of like get into medical school and then, you know, and then, you know, then it's what's an next? That yeah, it's like, it's like happens. an abyss. It's yeah. Like what, what happens next? People, you know, when I talk to students and they're like, you know, I want to, I'm going to do nursing. I really wanted to be a doctor, but I don't want to go to school for that many years. Right. That's, that's one of the, the common excuses that I, that I get from students. But what, what is all of that schooling? What is that like? Yeah. You get into medical school. And so, you know, you got, got into Baylor College of Medicine, correct? Yes. And so what was, what was next? What was that process like for you? I mean, I have so many questions there. So yeah, yeah. Feel free to dive into that because yeah. pre-med students are some of, some of the most intense students on the planet because medical school is very competitive to get into. 
and you work so hard in college to achieve this one goal of getting that seat in that medical school. And then you really don't think about what being in that seat entails. So that was definitely me. I had worked so hard all of college, so focused on this one goal that when I got to medical school, I realized, you know, I don't actually really know what I signed up for. Uh, So what is the career to be a doctor? Um, Most people graduate with a college degree, they go to medical school, which is a four-year program. Um, Some people will take an extra year to also graduate with an MPH, Master's of Public Health, MBA, Master's of Business Administration, um, or even an MD-PhD. That's an eight-year program uh, where you you graduate with a doctorate in usually a scientific research field. So after those four years or five or eight, depending on what you want to do, you graduate as a MD. You are a doctor. However, you haven't been trained in anything specific. You've been generally taught medicine in general, but most graduated medical students go to residency, which is a training program to specialize in something in medicine. Medical school itself is about a year and a half or two of classes. So it is like college on steroids. They say that a college semester has about 15 credit hours. Uh, one semester in medical school is equivalent to about 32 credit hours. So lots of information hitting you really, really fast. It's a lot of studying, a lot of memorization, a lot of biosciences. Um, And then you start learning disease processes and treatments and pharmacology and all the science that goes into having to be able to treat a person. After those classes, you take another big test called step one. It's kind of like the MCAT, but it covers everything you learn in those first two years of medical school. That After that test, you enter the world of clinical rotations. The second half of medical school, you do short blocks of four to eight weeks in different specialties. You'll rotate through internal medicine, OB-GYN, pediatrics, psychiatry, general surgery. You sample some of the major fields of medicine, and then you have room for electives to explore other fields, um, radiology, orthopedic surgery, um, um, oncology. And there's also time to do research. There's time to take classes in uh, medical ethics or some other um, medical topics. I'm going to stop you really quick because uh the way you say it, and then there's time to do research, right? (laughs) I'm exhausted listening to all of the the courses. And then, yeah, yeah. So please continue. But oh my gosh, this is this is intense. Yes, medical school is is not for the faint-hearted, but it is a lot of fun. And everybody there, um, you know, they're geeks about the same thing, but there's also lots of different personalities. So um, it's really fun and it's a really humbling experience to to work with patients in that capacity and just be there to learn. Um, Did at any point, at any point, Olivia, did you, did you ever ask yourself is, am I supposed to be here? Was there ever any doubt? Absolutely. I think there have been studies that most, if not all medical students have imposter syndrome in their first year of medical school. Um, And especially if you're going to medical school where people look different than you or you don't know a lot about the medical field, it hits very hard. Um, I, I hit that point my second semester of medical school in my infectious disease class. It was a dreaded uh, uh, course for me because I wasn't a biology major in 
um, in college and I was taking that course alongside an immunology course, which was very, very difficult for me. And it was, it was the most difficult academic experience I'd ever had. And you always ask yourself if the grades aren't A's, am I meant to do this? You know, if I am failing at this material or if I'm not doing well, does that mean I'm not supposed to be a doctor? Which let me tell you now that that is not true. Just because there is a concept that you're not understanding does not mean that your entire life plan or goals are derailed. But I was very grateful to find friends that I could talk to about this. And we were all experiencing that at the same time for different classes. Um, for me, anatomy came extremely easy. I loved it. it. I learned it very quickly. And for me, immunology was hard. My friends were complete opposite. I had my best friend was an immunology pro, but anatomy was her weakness. And so we got to help each other through that. And um help fight that imposter syndrome and say, no, we can do this. And just because something seems overwhelming does not mean we're not meant to be here. <laughs> so yes, imposter syndrome is real and you get tired and, and you cry sometimes thinking, what did I sign up for? But then you finish it and you say, no, that was actually fantastic. And there, it was a priceless experience that you, you can't, you can't really explain in words at the end of it. I, um, I appreciate that because I think, I think a lot of people regardless, I mean, especially if you're going into medicine, right. But, I, but we see it everywhere where, you know, if you step into a new environment where people don't look like you and people don't sound like you and, um, and you, and maybe you don't do well as in the beginning as maybe you'd hoped or, or had planned for, right. You, you know, we see that. We see where you question and, and should I be here? Should I be doing this? Um, and so I appreciate you being incredibly honest about that. And also um, about your approach, right? Talking to your friends and recognizing that, that not everybody was strong in everything and, and that collectively you all were able to help each other out. I think that that was really beautiful. And, and so I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Now you're going through medical school, you're in rotation. And when you were, when you were talking about college and getting into college, you talked about Latin and um, neuroscience, Yeah. Right? but you're, you're doing orthopedics. <laughs> how, how, what, what, what happened there? I mean, not that like, not, and if, if my voice sounds disappointed, <laughs> like, I mean, just what was, you know, ha, um, what was it about orthopedics that, that um, I think uh, attracted you to it? Yeah. Well, see, the funny thing is going into medical school, I didn't even know orthopedic surgery really existed. Um, I didn't have sports at my schools growing up. I, you know, didn't, I wasn't the classic, I tore my ACL and had to go get surgery and fell in love with orthopedics at the age of 15. I just walked into medical school knowing I wanted to be a surgeon. Yeah. And that journey was also um, a big obstacle for me because I didn't understand medical specialties. Uh, I joined the general surgery interest group my freshman year and got very involved. And then halfway through the year realized that there are other surgical specialties besides general surgery that you can go to residency for. There's urology, which is um, surgery of everything from the kidneys to the bladder and the urethra. There's um, 
plastic surgery, which a lot of people know the cosmetic side, but there's also um, a lot of burn patients or skin disorders or trauma that they take care of. Um, there is uh, OB-GYN, uh, obstetrics gynecology, has uh, is the field where you take care of women and pregnant women. And they actually have a lot of surgical um, procedures that they do, not just C-sections. There's ENT, ear, nose, and throat surgeons. So anyway, I halfway through my first year of medical school, I'm trying to learn all this information. I'm discovering that there's a whole new world, just like Ariel the Little Mermaid. That's what I felt, a whole new world <laughs> that I needed to explore. Um, and of course, you're busy studying, so you have to carve out time to go shadow doctors and, and discover these fields. And it wasn't really until my second year of med school that I discovered hand surgery, um, and all these other fields. I came in thinking spine surgery was super cool. So maybe I would do neurosurgery. And then I discovered hand surgery and plastic surgeons and, and orthopedic surgeons can do hand surgery. For spine surgery, orthopedic surgeons and neurosurgeons can do spine surgery. And I thought, wow, well, orthopedic seems to overlap in a lot of fields I'm interested in, let me check it out. So I asked to shadow, um, I reached out to the orthopedic mentor for the medical school and I asked to shadow, he said, yeah, come this one night, you know, you can see how we do things. And I thought, cool. And again, no, I don't know anything about this field, except it seems interesting. So I walk into that call shift overnight and I stayed up all night with the orthopedic team. And I remember operating and the first surgery I I was a part of was repairing someone's shoulder. The bone in the upper arm has a ball end and it was just shattered in pieces. So they were putting it all back together. And of course I'm the student, so I'm not doing too much in the surgery. I'm there to watch and learn. Yeah. And at one point um, the supervising physician turns to me and says, stick your finger in here. And he lets me stick my finger into the shoulder joint and feel the broken pieces. And that was it. I said, this is so cool. And of course, we're looking at the x-rays and I'm seeing how he's putting all the pieces back together and using metal plates and screws and pins and holding everything together. And then we stitch the skin back up and boom, you know, their bones fixed. And of course, you know, they need therapy and rehab after that. But that yeah. night I thought, this is amazing. What is this field? And after that, I started shadowing more and I was very lucky to shadow a female resident that was in the program. And she was just a boss and I wanted to be just like her. Um, Kelly Stiegel, if you're out there listening, that was you. And so <laughs> I thought, okay, you know, she's killing it. I love this. I, I want to follow in her footsteps. I want to do this field. And thankfully, Baylor has a very diverse orthopedic surgery program. So I didn't learn that orthopedic surgeons are, you know, like 90 plus percent white physicians. I didn't know that there's only like... There's less than maybe 20%, 10% uh, woman in orthopedics. Uh, I didn't know wow. any of these numbers. I didn't know uh, anything about the field itself um, until I actually started applying into it. So again, that then came with, well, you know, why is it that there's not yeah. many women in surgery? Why is it that there's not many minorities in ortho? So um, again, I feel like at every level of my journey, I had to explore and understand a new side of what exactly I wanted to do and how difficult it was going to be. Wow. That's a great story. I love that. Uh, yeah. The, um, I, I, 
I yeah, I'm, I'm still imagining you putting your finger in that. It's a <laughs> one shoulder. Yeah, yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, okay, so you're currently now the 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 point at which you're in currently is residency. Yes. Yeah. And so I'm in my you... first year of five years of orthopedic surgery training. Wow. When you're done with the five years. When I'm done What's... with the five years, so I guess I never finished the the medical career you go to medical school for four years you go to residency for anywhere from three to seven years um and then after that you can subspecialize within your discipline so i could graduate residency and be a general orthopedic surgeon or if i specifically want to do hand surgery or spine surgery or sports surgery i take one extra year called fellowship to subspecialize in that so medicine is just so complex now that there's sub sub specialties within everything. Um, so at the end of it all, um, it will take me four years of med school and about six years of training afterwards to be a board certified independent surgeon. Wow. You're doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> From the, the young woman who thought she was behind you know, I think I think you're you're doing all right. You know, you um, I I know um, you started doing some work. You started a, a I don't know if it if I mean tell me about um. Can you name a first gen MD? Yeah, first gen your first yes. gen work. Tell me about that. Yeah. So um, you know, my mom and and a lot of people in the Valley are very involved in first generational college student work. And that was a term I had heard a lot growing up and going into medical school. There is not a very big conversation surrounding the first gen medical students. And as you could hear in my story, not coming from a family in the medical field, I definitely felt disadvantaged. I, I told people going through medical school as a first-gen medical student felt like being dropped off on Mars without a map and being told, go live your life and go find the grocery store, go find this place. I just didn't even know where to begin and didn't know where to go. And I started talking with other friends and um, students and realized that a lot of first-gen medical students have the exact same struggles. And I decided, well, why don't we why don't we form a club and talk about this? Why don't we raise more awareness about this? And um, I know Yale has a first-gen low-income um, program. There's a couple schools in California, but it's still a very new concept. So um, me and my friend founded First Gen MD, which is an interest group for people of all backgrounds who identify as being the first in their family to go to medical school as a forum for us to laugh together and um, and struggle together. And it was great. I remember our very first meeting, our icebreaker was um, share a moment when you, when you felt first gen. And I shared being a second year medical student in classes, getting ready for the big transition to clinical rotation where you actually start to do medical stuff. And they were discussing inpatient and outpatient healthcare settings. And, you know, they just went on with the, with the lecture. And I was sitting there for five minutes trying to Google what was inpatient and what was outpatient. What did these words mean? I had never heard them or used them before. And now I use them all the time. Inpatient just means you are admitted in a hospital and all of your care is being done while you're in the hospital. Outpatient means uh, you get your lab work and studies done, you know, you 
uh, not acutely in the hospital while you're not admitted. But nobody had ever explained that to me. And so uh, we were laughing about some of the terminology that we've been confused about, um, laughing about some of the uh, funny stories we found ourselves in just because we didn't know. Um, sometimes we've called our attending physicians Mr. or Mrs. whatever instead of Dr. whatever and, and little things like that. Um, and it was a great meeting because we all just got to laugh at our learning mistakes, you know, and um, that's, I think that was a really powerful club because in a time especially where uh a lot of people feel drawn together by their race or by their socioeconomic class. This interest group kind of superseded all that. It didn't matter if you were, you know, a white girl from a really small rural country town in Texas or a black male from New York. If you were both first gen, you had shared experiences that we could um, find common ground over. Um, so that was really neat. And, and we really started that conversation at Baylor and, um, I've been mentoring a lot of first-gen med students since then. That's, uh, I mean, that's incredibly valuable work and important work. So I'm glad that you're, that, you know, recognizing, I think sometimes uh, just really quick side story. I remember, you know, when I first started teaching at the university and m most of my colleagues were Latino and we're working with first-year students and and it was almost, I was really disappointed because I think I heard a lot of people talk about when they talked about themselves in reference to their students, mm -hmm. it was almost as if it was, I, I did everything by myself. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't, I, you know, and, 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 and I know they didn't, <laughs> you know, right. um, but, but to have that. And so I appreciate that you, you, certainly haven't lost that perspective. And certainly, I mean, it, it, it helps that you're still living it, right? Going through rotations and still every new experience with medical school, I, I'm sure is a new experience for you. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I appreciate you recognizing that, acknowledging that, and then using your position, using your experience to help others who are going through the same thing. Yeah. I think that's so important and that's so awesome. Um, what's next for you? What else would you like? What do you, what else do you want to do when you grow up? <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of plans. I have lots of plans. I think medicine culture is changing, especially in surgery. Uh, 50 years ago, if you want to be a surgeon, you were expected to never be home and your job was your life. And that was who you were. You were a surgeon. And now the cool thing is you can be a surgeon, but you can be a lot of other things and be yeah. a surgeon. And so, um, you know, I want, I want to be a mom in the future. Um, I want to, my husband just opened up a business. I want to be, I want to help him with his business. I want to probably have a ranch, uh, in the future. I want to dabble in investments. You know, there's just a lot of things I want to do. I want to travel. And so still lots of life ahead to live. Um, but I got to truck through residency first. Um, yeah, most people don't know um, residency training programs. You know, you're only, you only have a few years to learn a lot of material uh, to be independent and practice by yourself. But average work hour weeks for surgical specialties, average 70 to 80 hours of work a week. Um, it used to be higher. They actually put a legal limit on it. So 
we are not allowed to work more than 80 hours a week on average over four weeks. So it, it is a lot of time, you know, yeah. nobody goes into medicine frivolously. Um, yeah. it, it requires passion and dedication and time, but I think I have the coolest job in the world and it doesn't matter if I work a 16 hour shift, I come home feeling satisfied and feeling pleased with the work I was able to provide my patients. Um, so if you, if you're interested in medicine, um, explore everything, right? There's not just being a doctor, being a surgeon, there's physician assistants, there's nurses, there's respiratory, um, therapists, there's occupational physical therapists, speech therapists, x-ray technicians. I mean, once you actually enter a hospital and you realize the hundreds of jobs it takes to take care of one patient, it really does make you appreciate the fact that there's so much more to the world than just being a doctor or just being this. Um, so, so yeah, if you have a passion, explore it and find the educational pathway that will give you what you're passionate about. That's beautiful. I couldn't think of a better way of ending our conversation. <laughs> Olivia, doctor, doctor, <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time and for your story. And thank you for the wonderful work that you're doing. Um, obviously, if I can ever be a resource, if we can ever be a resource, please let us know. Um, but thank you for taking the time to share your story. Thank you. Thank you. And for anybody interested in medicine that doesn't know where to start, um, there is an Instagram platform called Feeling First Gen that I've started with um, Vicky Mercado Evans. And uh, it's, it's a free public resource. You can ask questions. You can connect with other people there. Um, just know that there are people waiting to help you find your next step. But thank you. Awesome. Much. I'll be sure to attach a link to Feeling First Gen. Make Perfect. sure to share that. Awesome. This concludes another episode of the Way to College podcast. Thank you for joining us, um, and we'll see you next time. Don't forget to listen, subscribe, follow, and rate. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.